0: Let's take just a minute of review. Today we're going to start the study of the period of the conquest, which is the fifth period. Now you know we've divided the Old Testament history into 11 visions. First primeval, second patriarchal, third Egyptian, fourth, fifth conquest, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, and eleven. Uh, all right. We are now starting number five. We have completed four of them already, and now we're starting this Friday number five, and we're going to take two sessions on number five. And this is the conquest, the conquest of Canaan, the conquest of Canaan, which is given to us in in the book of Joshua. Now, <clears throat> may I ask you to take your Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, and of all the things, I didn't bring a Bible with me, (laughs) Genesis chapter 15, Terry, may I borrow your Bible, thank you, all right, Genesis chapter 15, way back uh, hundreds of years before the book of Joshua takes place, way back in about 2000 B.C., God gave this promise To Abraham, Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, Genesis 15, 13. Well, I'll begin at verse 12. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And God said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and shall afflict them about four hundred years. How long was Israel in Egypt? Four hundred and thirty years, about four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, which he did. He smote the firstborn. Afterward shall Israel come out with great substance, which they did. And Abram, you'll go to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried in good old age. But in the fourth generation, you know, generations are figured differently. Here, approximately a hundred years. In the fourth generation, they shall come hither again. Uh, hither, where is hither? Well, that's the land of Canaan. Abraham's down in southern Canaan. God said, I'm going to send your descendants down to Egypt. But in the fourth generation, after 400 years, they're going to come back into the land of, the, uh, of Canaan. They shall come hither again for the iniquity of the Amorites who live in Canaan is not yet, what? God was giving to the Canaanites hundreds of years to repent of their sins and come to himself. The iniquity of the Canaanites, Amorites, was not yet full. When it was full, then God moved in in judgment just as he is in the tribulation and just as he did in the flood. How long did God tolerate the sinfulness of man at the time of the flood? 120 years, and then the judgment of God fell. So God is long suffering, not willing that any should perish, and he gave them time. And that was one reason. He took them out of the land to give them time. And, and, but he said, after that's over, then I'm going to bring you on back and, and place you in the land. Now let's look over at Exodus chapter 3. We come a couple hundred years later, well, about 600 years later, Exodus chapter 3. We come to about, uh, oh, 450 B.C., and we read in Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, these words. Exodus 3, 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry by reason of a taskmaster, for I know their sorrow. I am come down to do three things. Number one, to deliver them out of the H-A-N-D, the hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Number two, to bring them up out of that land of Egypt. And number three, to bring them unto a good land and a large one, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, Hibites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Now, how many of those three things have already been accomplished? How many of them? Two of them. He brought them out of the hand of Pharaoh 40 years ago. He brought them out of the land of Egypt 40 years ago. But now for the last 40 years, they've been in the wilderness. They're not yet in Canaan. So God is now going to fulfill the third part of that promise and bring them into Canaan, into a land flowing with milk and honey under the place of the Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and Perizzites and Hivites and the Jebusites which inhabited the land of, of um, uh, uh, which inhabited Jerusalem so now Israel's land uh, when we concluded the wilderness period they took 40 years didn't they uh, they came uh, we don't have the map in front of us right here but they came all the way out of Egypt they came down to the Sinai Peninsula they were at the Sinai Peninsula for about a year, receiving the law, the tabernacle, and the priesthood, and the principles of worship, and the organization of over two million people. They were there one year. It took them about two years to make that trip on down to the Sinai Peninsula. And then they were way down at the Sinai Peninsula for about a year. Then they left Sinai and came up to Kadesh. And at Kadesh, they sent the spies up, 40 spies to spy at the land, came back, uh, 12 spies spy at the land, uh, uh, 10 said, great giants, great cities, we can't take it, let's not go. Two, Caleb and Joshua said, large cities, great giants, great men, but God is greater, let's go. And the people voted against Caleb and Joshua. And voted not to go into the land of Canaan So the Lord God said for every year You spent spying out the land 40 days For every day you spent spying out the land You're going to spend one year in the wilderness Until every male over 21 years of age Has died except Caleb and Joshua So they wandered for almost 38 years Came on back to Canaan and then God said, all right, move out. So they moved over. And remember, they to across the land of Edom, which is down south of the Dead Sea. And the king of Edom said no. So they had to go all the way down to the north arm of the Gulf of Suez, come on back. And they came on back, and they conquered all of this Transjordan, conquered the land of Moab, the land of Gilead. They conquered all this land of Jordan. Under Moses, <clears throat> and they settle right here in the plains of Moab. This is called the plains of Moab or the plains of Jericho. Plains of Moab or the plains of Jericho. And there they settled for about three months. And that's where the book of Deuteronomy takes place. The last chapter is the book of Numbers and the book of Deuteronomy. There, there, the two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, and one half-tribe of Manasseh came and said to Moses, we'd like our territory on the east of Jordan, which is called Transjordan. It's very fertile. We'd like it over here. Moses said, all right, as long as you're military men, when we invade the land, we'll go over and fight. That They will. Then second, Moses warned, warned the Israelites, when you go on the land, As God said, destroy all of them. Make no covenants. Destroy their idols. Don't intermarry. Because if you do, you'll get involved in their idolatry, which is exactly what happened, as we shall see when we come to the book of Judges. And it became the curse to them later on, as it did to Solomon and his marital engagements. Don't do it. And then, then God took Moses up to Mount Nebo, to Pisgah, way up high, and let him look over all the land. And there Moses died. Just before he died, of course, God through Moses appointed a successor, Joshua. Joshua. Moses went up there, saw all the land. There he died. And there's someplace where nobody knows. God buried Moses. On Mount Pisgah. Now, now the wilderness period's over. Now they're on the plains of Moab. They can look across the Jordan River. It's about 1,300 feet below sea level right at this point. See, if Galilee's about 600 feet below sea level, this is about 1,300 feet below sea level. They can look across Jordan, over yonder, across Jordan, at the place where they're encamped. They're on the east side of Jordan. Over across the west side of Jordan, they see looming over there one of the oldest cities in human history, the city of Jericho. Archaeologists say that it goes back at least 6,500, 7,000 B.C. One of the oldest cities in history, the city of Jericho. There it lies. So now the mantle of leadership is going to fall upon Joshua. Now God, according to his word, has commanded them, To go into the land And conquer the land And destroy the inhabitants And divide the land Among the twelve tribes And settle in the land Now the book of Joshua Tells us that story The book of Joshua Can be summed up In one word P-O-S-S-E S-S-I-O-N Possession Possession God had already given to them the land of Joshua. Now they are to go up and to possess the land. And there are three stages in which they do it. We're going to look at this in just a minute, so don't write down anything. Just look. There are going to be three stages. First of all, they invade the land. They make an initial invasion. That is, they cross the River Jordan by a miracle, and they settle up headquarters at Gilgal. Number one, they invade the land, they establish D-Day, they establish the beachhead at Gilgal. Then number two, they conquer the land and no doubt God had given to Moses the plan of attack and Moses gave it to Joshua and that plan is very simple divide and conquer, divide and conquer. Palestine was like uh, Greece and like Rome in those days, they were composed of what they called city-state. state of uh, <clears throat> Sparta was a city-state. state of Athens was a city-state. And that city-state had its own government. The man on top of it was called a king. So Palestine had its city-state. And there were dozens of city-states and therefore dozens of kings. A king was simply a autocratic mayor in a city-state. And he was often identified, almost identified, with the deity whom the people worshiped. And there were a whole lot of city-states, and they were uh, some of them were composed, were 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 collected together in what we would call a league, like NATO, a Southern League or a Central League or a Northern League. So the plan of attack was to split the land, divide it, divide and conquer. So number one, there was the central campaign, which was Jericho and Ai, the central campaign. And they split the north and the south, Jericho and Ai. Then secondly, Joshua engaged in the southern campaign, and they went down south against a five-city-state league and conquered that and destroyed and burned the cities, plus many other cities. That's the southern campaign. Then in a fast night march, they moved on up north and the waters of Merrim, they met the Northern League and they crushed the Northern League and conquered, they crushed the kings, destroyed the kings and conquered the strategic cities in the Northern League. So the land was conquered. The strategic cities were conquered. Now that's the conquest of the land. And that's given to us in about Joshua 5 to 12, the invasion 1 through 4, the conquest 5 to 12. Now comes the responsibility of Joshua to divide the land among the 12 tribes. And that division of the land is given to us in chapters 12, uh, 13 through 22, and he divides the land among the 12 tribes and gives to each a portion and tells them, now you are to go into your portion and drive out the rest of the Canaanites that are not there don't make any leagues with them destroy the cities burn the cities and destroy the Canaanites the inhabitants and then when they do that and he's divided the land then Joshua Joshua 22 23 and 24 makes his final address makes his final address to Israel and he dies He's accomplished the mission that God gave to him. He brought the people into the land of Canaan and settled them in the land and divided amongst the 12 tribes. Then we're ready for the next division, which is the book of Judges. All right, now let's look at six things. Uh, The key to it is Joshua chapter 21, verse 43. Let's look at Joshua 21, verse 43. That's the right verse. Yes, Joshua chapter 21, verse 43. That somewhat summarizes the uh, book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 21, verse 43. Bible says, The Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he swore to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And that perhaps could serve as a key verse to the book of Joshua. Now, as we've uh, studied this, um, um, each one of these divisions, we divided each one of these 11 divisions into six sections. You got your outline? Look at it. Got six. Well, you only got five. I left one off. What's the first one on your outline? The scripture. What's the second one? Theme, the third one. Geography, the fourth one. Fifth one are the events, five events. And there ought to be a sixth one, and that would be the persons. And I, way down at the bottom, number six, not the sixth event, but the sixth one comparable to scripture, theme, geography, time, events. Number six would be persons, and I didn't put that in. And of course, the two outstanding persons are Joshua and Caleb. All right, now let's look at that. We want to get about halfway through today. We'll probably get to about through the first campaign, the southern campaign. Then we'll take up the rest of it next Friday morning. We're going to look at this at this period for about um, two Friday mornings. Number one, the scripture. Number one, the scripture. Well, obviously, the scripture is the book of Joshua. Joshua chapters 1 to 24 give us the story of the conquest period. Conquest begins with uh, the commissioning of Joshua on the east side of Jordan and it ends with the final addresses and the death of Joshua. Number two, the theme. The theme. What is the theme of the book of Joshua? One word. P-O-S-S-E-S-S-I-O-N. Possession. Possession. And that's divided into the invasion and the conquest and the division of the land. Invasion 1 through 4, conquest, 5 through 12, division, 13 to 24. See, those are the three major movements. Now, I'm going to make the outline a little larger than that, but that's essentially what they do. They do three things. Look here, three things. In possessing the land, first, they get into it. They do what Eisenhower did. They establish a beachhead, and they establish the beachhead at Gilgal. That's the invasion. They established the beachhead from which they're going to operate. That's their headquarters from which they're going to carry out all their campaigns. Chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. Secondly, the three campaigns, central, southern, and northern campaigns, 5 to 12. And then third, the division of the land among the 12 tribes. That simple, isn't it? What are those three? Let me say it once again first they go in invasion secondly they conquer it conquest three campaigns third they divide it up invasion conquest division let's say it together invasion conquest once again invasion now that's the book of Joshua very simple I'm going to add a, an introduction to that the conclusion but that's essentially the book of Joshua and the key idea is the idea of possession now let's take a Bible and turn to Joshua chapter 1 and see that possession Isaiah uh, 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 Joshua chapter 1 possession possession Joshua chapter 1 verse 2 verse 1 now after the death of Moses the servant of the Lord came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua the son of Nun Moses' minister said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Since Moses is dead and we lost our pastor, we just might as well go ahead and close down the church. It's all over now, see. (laughs) No, God buries his workmen, but the work of God goes on. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, rise, Joshua, Go over Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, which I have already given to them, even to the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I already given it unto you, as I said unto Moses. Verse 11, chapter 1, verse 11. Pass through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare you bittles, for within three days, within three days, you shall pass over this Jordan to go into, what's the word? What is it? Yeah, I'd circle that word. Possess, that's the key word. To possess the land which the Lord, your God, has already given unto you. God already gave it to them. Now they're to go into possessing. When did God give this land? Anybody tell me? What is that covenant by which God gave him the land? The Abrahamic covenant. Abrahamic covenant. And in Gen- we're not going to look at it. We don't have time. But in Genesis chapter 15, God describes the limits of, that, of the land. All from the river Nile all the way up to the river Euphrates. I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to give it to you forever. I'm going to give it to you. God had given to Israel all that land. And may I say, by the way, that Israel <clears throat> has never permanently possessed all that land. That is one reason why I am a premillennial. I believe that God is going to fulfill his pledged word to Israel in the Abrahamic covenant. And God was very careful in Genesis 15 in delimiting the area of. From the southwest, the river of Egypt, the Nile, all the way to the great river, which is the river Euphrates, (coughs) from Zebulun way up in the north, all the way down to the Negev, all that land I'm going to give to you. Now, Solomon held it sporadically, but nobody ever possessed it permanently, never, never. It still awaits a future complete Possession God said I've given you this land I've given it to you now what's your job you're to go up and do what possess it I've given it to you but now you're to go up and possess it Israel's ownership of the land was unconditional but Israel's enjoyment of the land is conditioned upon their obedience and their faith in God may I May I stop there to say there's a tremendous parallel. See, the, the complement to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament is the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. And the book of Ephesians tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessing. What is all spiritual blessing include? Well, it includes power, it includes victory over sin, it includes contentment when I perhaps lose my job and things go against me. It involves a quiet confidence in God. All of these are my spiritual blessings. Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have death. I, the son of man, I don't even have a place to lay down my head. I can't call any place home. Nor could Paul. He had no security. But Paul and Jesus were both supremely happy, see? happy and secure, involved in the work of God. So God said, "I've given you all spiritual blessings, but you've got to go up and possess them." How many spiritual blessings are mine? All of them. But I have got by faith, by submission to God, by obedience to God's word, I've got to go up and possess what God has given to me in Jesus Christ. And I said, Joshua, God, to Joshua, I've given you all this land. Look over there, yonder, all that land. That's yours. I've given it to you. But you've got to go up and possess it. By fighting, by battling. So the Bible says, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, work out your own, yeah, that word means sanctification in that context. Work out your own sanctification. For it's God that works in you, both the will and do of his own good pleasure. God works in you to sanctify you. But you also must work out your own sanctification and possess, as the old saying is, possess your possessions. Now Egypt's control of Palestine at this time was very weak. The inhabitants of the Canaanites were a mixture of races. There were the Amorites, there were the Philistines, down on the coastal line. There were the Moabites, the Edomites, and there were a lot of smaller tribes and they were marked by a definite culture and religion. Now I want to make a couple of things before we go on from this theme. Regarding the conquest the land promised to Israel was to God was promised the Abrahamic covenant. That's over in Genesis 15 (coughs) All this land was not conquered until David's day (coughs) Pardon me Matter of fact, it was one city. They never could conquer That was the city the Jebusites had and that was the city of Jerusalem That city was not conquered until the day of David 2 Samuel chapter (coughs) 5 so although Joshua and the Israelites conquered the strategic cities and the strategic areas there were still pockets of resistance even until the days of David and all during the period of the judges you had the natives revolt against the Israelites and toss them out and make them slaves and then when we come to the book of Judges you'll find that after being slaves for a hundred years or fifty years, they cried to God, and God said to man, "He's called a judge." He wasn't a judge in the sense that we think of a judge today. That word should be translated a deliverer. He said him a deliverer. Often he was a crude man. Often he was a freebooter. Often he was nothing more than simply a a paid professional military man, tough and strong a leader of men, and he had come in. And he would conquer the enemy and restore the people to that city-state. And then they'd go on, and then they would get into idolatry again, and God would send in another group of people to conquer. That's the whole story of the book of Judges. So there were always pockets of resistance. The only time they enjoyed a real level of peace was after David united all the territory and gave it to Solomon. And for about 40 years, a period of peace. But after that, after that, they had the Civil War, didn't they? And the South, the North revolted against the South, and the North was successful. From that time on, you had a split kingdom. You had the ten kingdoms in the North and the two kingdoms in the South. And then the ten kingdoms went into captivity, and are gone today. And only God and Garner Ted Armstrong know where they are. See, <laughs> no, those only two. And then you had the two tribes down in the south. But only during Solomon's reign was there any occupation. And it really wasn't all the way down to the river Egypt and all the way up to the river Euphrates. That's still yet to take place in the future, in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, when, as I believe, God is going to fulfill the covenant God made to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob And which he very carefully gave the limits of the land in Genesis chapter 15. Now, number three, the dates. What are the dates? 1406 to about 1376. (coughs) 1406 to about 1376. How do we get those dates? Well, um, how do we get those dates? Well, um. We're not sure that those are accurate. We know that the 1406 is pretty accurate. I've gone over that a dozen times, haven't I? So we're not going over it again. You know how we got the 1406? That's when they invaded the land. Moses died and they invaded the land in 1406. Now, uh, when they invaded the land, when they invaded the land, Moses and Caleb were about 80 years old we know that Caleb was about 80 years old when, uh, when Joshua died in Joshua 24 he was 110 now the Bible tells us that Caleb was 80 80 years old 80 years old when matter of fact uh, really what it tells us is that he was about uh, 87 when the conquests were finished not the divisions but the conquest, he's about 87, 85 or 87 years old. All right, he was about 80 in 1406. Uh, Caleb, Joshua died when he was 110. And we assume that Joshua and Caleb were about the same age, see, so give or take a year. So if in 1406 they were 80, then you add another 30 years or you take a number of, another 30 years off and you get 1376 as the time of the end of the book of Joshua now that may be wrong it's not far wrong but it may be off say five or ten years because it's based on the assumption that Caleb and Joshua were about the same age and I'm assuming that they were about the same age uh, because Caleb was 40 and Joshua seemed to be about the same age and if they're the same age Joshua died when he's 110 then so we'll go Joshua finished about 1376 B.C. All right, let's go to number four, and that's the geography, the geography of the land. Is that number four in your outline, geography? All right, we'll, what is it? All right, well, I've got these, uh, I've got these um, I've, uh, uh, reversed, have I? I did that to see if you were awake. All right, number three, the geography, the geography. Well, we'll see this as time goes on. Uh, What you have in the geography of the land of Canaan is that when you go from east to west or west to east, what you have in in this land of Canaan, including both the western side of Jordan and trans-Jordan, eastern Jordan, which in the New Testament is called Perea, The Greek word p-e-r-a-n means beyond, peron. And the land beyond Jordan is called Perea. It's called today Trans Jordan. So, you got really uh, when you cut across, you got three divisions. First of all, you got the mountainous region of Trans Jordan, kind of a plateau region, very, very fertile. That's why the two and a half tribes. Reading the Psalms about. The bulls of Bashan. The bulls of Bashan. Here's Bashan up here. Bashan is up in this area right here. And the bulls of Bashan, he means of fertility, cattle, good cattle land. So this is a very fertile land. That's the Transjordan Plateau and highly desirable. Number two, this, this drops off to a gorge, a canyon. And that canyon begins way up here north of the of the of the Sea of Galilee, and the Sea of Galilee is over 600 feet below sea level. You know, when I first studied Bible geography and taught it about 30 years ago, I was uh, I was really surprised to learn that the Sea of Galilee was below sea level. Most of our lakes are above sea level, aren't they? Most of our lakes are above sea level. You go out to Pickwick, it's above sea level. Go over the lakes in Arkansas, above sea level. But this is below sea level, six over 600 feet below sea level. I think about 675. And the Dead Sea is o- almost 1,300 feet below sea level. And there's a gorge, a canyon, that runs all the way down here, runs on down, as I pointed out last time, down through Edom, runs down through that the Gulf of Suez, you know, has those two arms, the Red Sea, and runs down the, uh, uh, the uh, Gulf of Aqaba, runs down there, and runs down into Africa, way down to Lake Victoria. There's a fault, probably an ancient earthquake fall, perhaps, running all the way from Central Africa all the way up through north of the Dead Sea. So, this is called the Jordan River Valley. So, you got, number one, Transjordan. You got, number two, the Jordan Valley, below sea level. Then you go up again, and you got what's called the mountain region. Or, in the New Testament, this is called the hill region, the hill country. It says of Elizabeth that she went into the hill country. She left Jerusalem, Bethlehem, went into the hill country. And this is all the hill country, all up here. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. The Dead Sea is 1,300 feet below sea level. That means that going from Jerusalem down to the Dead Sea, which I think is only about 25 miles, you drop almost 4,000 feet. And that lies behind the story of the Good Samaritan. And this is somewhat called the hill country, all along here, the hill country. It's high. Then you drop off to the plain, the coastal plain. You have the plain, the Phoenician plain up here from whom we get our alphabet. Then you got the plain of Sharon. And then you got the Philistia plain, these plains, coastal plains. And they tend to broaden out. They're very narrow here. And then they broaden out as they come down here. And you remember that the Israelites always had trouble with these Philistian cities. Where did Samson come from? One of those Philistine cities. Then really have a a fifth one, and that's what's called the South Country, or it's called today and called in the Bible, the N-E-G-E-V, which means the South Country. That's way down south, the South Country. So that's essentially, that's a lower plateau. That's essentially the geography of the land of Palestine. You got your Plateau country, Transjordan, coming east, west, you got the Jordan Valley, drops way off. Then you go up again, and you got your hill country, very hilly, all up here. And then you drop off again down to the coastal plain. And then you have this lower plateau country called the Negev. Then, of course, in all of this, you've got these city-states, city-states. How big were they? Well, uh, <clears throat> Jericho was a great city-state. How big was the city of Jericho? Well geographers are not sure because in those ancient (coughs) city-states they one city-state would be burned down and they just go and build on top of that and they build on top of that and my memory serves me correct. It's been a long time since I study archaeology. They've got about 25 to 30 city-states built on top of the original city of Jericho a lot of these and, and, and archaeologists that's what they do see they go down and they cut down through these it's a very tedious practice is archaeology and they cut down through a slice of this thing and they find a certain kind of pottery certain kind of pottery <coughs> and they know from Greece and from Crete that this pottery was present 1400 B.C. and they find this pottery in this level the city so they know that this level of the city dates about 1400 B.C. <coughs> then they go down and they find other shards normally it's pottery by which they date city. And they find out here's another city and the pottery there and the designs in the pottery are the kind over in other civilizations that date about sixteen or seventeen hundred B.C. And that's the way they date cities. And Jericho was a high city because it was built on several previous cities that had been burned and destroyed. How big was it? Well, uh, estimates range anywhere from 16 to 30 acres. Now, our property here at Mid-South Bob College is about six acres. All the way over the railroad tracks, Hollywood, over the Georgia woods, out the street. Six acres. So you take that and travel it yeah it was the city of Jericho and they had two great walls around the city of Jericho that's walls the walls were the were the uh, protection of a city they didn't have any airplanes they zoom over and drop bombs they could take those rocks as they do in the king of Ed, <laughs> and throw them in there but Jericho was well walled. It had two walls, as a matter of fact, an outer wall and an inner wall. And they had it slope, so it was hard to scale the wall. It was virtually impregnable. Many of those cities were virtually impregnable. The only way you could take care of them was to starve them out. And you remember in 588 B.C., the king of Babylon went over against Jerusalem, laid siege to it, <coughs> pardon me, for 18 months before he could starve them out. Now people lived in the city, then they built their farms outside the city when the enemy came, and they stood up on top of the walls, and they saw the enemy coming, say 20 or 30 miles they could see the enemy coming, they would shout the warning, Ezekiel speaks to that, if you don't warn him, his blood's on your hands. shout the warning, and the man out there hoeing, plowing, he'd drop everything, get into the city. They'd lock those gates, get up on the walls, get those catapults ready to go, and they'd protect the city. And they'd surround the city maybe for three months, and the people would be stocked in there with water and food for a length of time, and the army would just give up and leave. And Jericho was a very, very well-protected city. And there were a lot of city-states like that, but Jericho, because it was so strategic, was one of the best them. Now let's get to the events, the events of the city. Let me say one other thing about, about background, and that is the the religion, the religion of the Canaanites. The religion of the Canaanites is probably the most debased religion that history has witnessed. Matter of fact, uh, 50, 40, 50 years ago, uh, when they in- translated the Canaanite texts or descriptions of it, they would put it in Latin footnotes. It was so debased, so obscene, so sexual. Were these uh, were the rites of the Canaanites that they would put them in Latin, so that students going to the library and read them. Most of them didn't know Latin, couldn't read them. Now today, of course, that's all that's all gone by the board. Uh, the Canaanite god was El. L. And he he had a consort, Astra, or Astra, Astarte, Athena. Her name changes in the Greco-Roman world. Virtually the same. They had a whole lot of gods and goddesses. Their main god, one of the uh, offspring of uh, El and and Astro, and and I don't want to get into length on this, but the main god was B-A-A-L. Baal. Whom do we run across in the Old Testament? What God? Baal. Baal. Also known as Hadad. Hey Hadad. Hey Not two words. Not Hey, Dad. See, just one word. Hey, Dad. And uh, also known as Baal. And uh, he was the God of vegetation and the God of fertility. <coughs> you know, a lot of these <coughs> ancient religions <coughs> worshipped um, worshipped, they depended upon the seasons, upon the rain and the showers and the sunshine. So they worshipped the gods of the rains and the seasons that made the crops fertile. wasn't far from worshipping the gods who made the crops fertile to worshipping fertility itself. And from there it was a short step to worshipping the sex organs that represented fertility <coughs> and the Canaanites uh, were phallic worshipers, and the archaeologists have uncovered hundreds and thousands of symbols, phallic symbols, symbols of sex organs which the Canaanites worship. Very, very degraded. <coughs> along with that, they had what is called sacred prostitution. And the temples had uh, young girls, 15, 16, 17 years old, that were committed to sacred prostitution. And I used to read in the Old Testament that the Baal worshipers would go up, worship in the temple, and then go out in the grove, G-R-O-V-E-S. And I read that for years. I didn't understand what that meant what that meant was simply that Grove was an area place where they worship the Canaanite deity and they would go up there they get drunk and then they get one of the virgins perhaps a virgin committed to sacred prostitution and they would get her and go out in the bushes and have sexual relationships with her and all your Canaanite religion as a lot of your Near Eastern religions were all entwined with sex. They were drenched in sex. Sexual religion. And the religion and culture of the Canaanites was probably, and this is the verdict not of Christian historians, but this is the verdict of secular historians, that the religion of the Canaanites, including the Phoenicians, including Tyre and Sidon, was perhaps the most debased religion in history and that is why God said when you go into the land destroy every man woman and child the liberals don't like that but God had a reason for it, it wasn't political wasn't material it was ethical when God, uh, 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 it wasn't political economic material behind it was a spiritual reason And God gave them that. Now, let's go to the events. The events. The events. Three movements. The invasion, the conquest, and the division. Invasion, conquest, and the division. I divided into five events. First of all, preparation. Secondly, the entrance. Third, the conquest of Canaan. Fourth, the division of the land. And five, the farewell address. Now what we've done primarily this morning is laid the background so it'll be easy for you this coming week to study the book of Joshua and we can cover it quickly. I'm going to cover in the remaining time one thing and that's chapter one, the preparation. You see that under there? What's point one under the event? Preparation. The assumption of leadership by Joshua. Preparation. Then number two, we've got the beachhead. They crossed the Jordan and they established their military headquarters at Gilgal, Gilgal, which is located right here, east southeast of Jericho. There's where they established military headquarters. Third, third are the campaign preparation, then the invasion, two to four chapter two to four, then the conquest. 5 to 12, three three campaigns. Then number four, the division of the land, chapter 13 to 21. And then finally, 22, 23, and 24, the farewell addresses and the death of Joshua. And that's the book of Joshua. Now let's take Joshua chapter 1, the preparation. And we'll just look at it briefly. The preparation, very briefly. Three things take place. Joshua. Let's, let's just read chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun. Moses, Moses, a, we'd call an aide-de-camp. Moses minister said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, the tendency is for paralysis to set in. Oh, Moses is dead. We can't do anything now. The great man's gone. No, said God. Moses may be dead, but I'm not dead. Moses, my servant, is dead. Lady called up at the National Cathedral in Washington one day. This is going back about 35 years ago. Lady called up. I know the, I have to answer the phone. <laughs> but a lady called up and said, uh, "Is uh, uh, it was Saturday. Or maybe it was early Sunday morning. She called up and she said, uh, "Is Doctor Peter Marshall going to be at church today?" And the secretary replied, uh, "No, but God is, and you may come." See? So God he said, "He's going to bury Abraham. God buries his workmen, but the work of God goes on." So he said, Joshua. Uh, My servant Moses is dead. Now, you get up. Get up. Go over this Jordan. You and all this people on the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I already given to you. All you've got to do is go in and, what is that word? Possess it. Put the sole of your foot down there. Possess it. Possess it. Every place your soul puts down. I've already given to you. But you've got to get up. You've got to get up off your backside and work and get busy and do something. Just as God says, I have my elect out there. Other sheep have I which are not of this fold. Them also must I bring. And they will be one flock. God has his elect out there. But I have got to get up and go out and seek them. God not only ordains the end, he also ordains the means. And the means is that I get up and go out and witness for Christ and introduce men to Christ and win them to Jesus Christ, see, that God has done it, ordained it. That's a mystery. How is God going to get sure he's going to get it done? And yet it depends on me. How do I solve that mystery? I don't solve. And I don't do something else. I don't take any solution that anybody gives me. Because I know that nobody can solve it. But I do know this, that the rule of my life is not the decrees of God, election, predestination. The rule of my life is the commands of God. What has God commanded me to do? To believe in Christ. What does he command me to do? To pray. What has God commanded me to do? identify with a local church Bible believing church what is God what has God commanded every man in this room to do Acts 1 8 you shall be what what did he say you preachers shall be witnesses no given to all the church so God expects when I stand before Jesus Christ he's not going to give me an examination on election and predestination which I believe but he's not going to give me examination on that he's going to examine me about my life my commitment and my support of mission and my involvement in witnessing for Christ Joshua there's the land I've given it to all to you to Israel but get up get up get up go on over and possess it every place verse 4 from the wilderness this Lebanon even the great river the river Euphrates all the land the Hittites going down the sea that's the Mediterranean Sea I've given it. Not any man shall be able to stand before thee. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I'll not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. Run to this people, shall thou divide for inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers, to them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left. Don't compromise. That thou mayest prosper and have good what? The only place the word success is used in the Bible. And it's spiritual success. Have good success. Have not, I commanded thee, be strong, good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. That was the calling and commission of Joshua. Now, look here. What does Joshua do? Does two things the rest of the chapter won't look up. First of all, he calls all the people together and says, God has given to us orders. Three days. Be ready. Be ready. Three days. Three days. We're going to cross the Jordan. And the people looked over there. The Jordan was at flood stage now, see? Flood stage. Passover season, flood stage, walked over there, the river was running high, crossed the Jordan three days, how can we do it? It's impossible. Joshua said, three days, we're going to cross the Jordan, God is going to work a great miracle. We're going to cross it. And they did, as we shall see. Second thing, he said, now Reuben, Gad, one half tribe, Manasseh, you remember, Moses gave you the land over on the east side. But remember you promised that when we went over and fought your military men would go with us and I'm expecting you to fulfill your promise and the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half a tribe of Manasseh said just as we promised Moses we will go with you and they were ready to go and and now we're ready now we're ready for the crossing of the Jordan Next Friday morning, bring your boots. (laughs) We're going to be ready to cross the Jordan next time. Let me suggest three things. Look here, will you please? Three great laws that God gave. Three great laws. Let me, I'd like to have your attention for about three minutes. Three great laws that God gave to Moses. I've spoken, I, I haven't spoken recently. Years ago, I used to speak to students about this. Three great laws, three great laws, good for Joshua, good for us. I call them the law of possession, the law of appropriation, and the law of supply, the law of possession, the law of appropriation, and the law of supply. Now, you know what I mean by those, don't you? I've already gone over. The law of possession, what does that mean? Everything I need, Second Peter chapter two, verses four, three and four. All that I need for salvation and holiness of life, God has given it to me. What is your need? What's your need today? What's your need? Whatever it is, now I don't know it, and I can't solve your problem. But whatever your need is, God has provision to meet it. The law of provision. Whatever your need is, God is able to make, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, a verse that I love, God is able to make all grace abound unto you, that you having all grace in all things may abound unto every good work. The law of possession, God has given it to me. What's the second law? I've got to go and take it. I've got to take it. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly, come, come, come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy for past mistakes and grace to help in time of need. See? Psalm 86.10, I preach on that occasionally. Don't I, Terry? Well, you've been sleeping in chapel. Psalm 86.10, great verse open thy mouth wide and I will fill it See? you open your mouth wide God said I'll fill it some men come with little sacks and that's all they get they get a little blessing from God and they're little Christian some men some men perhaps with no training no background never finished high school Maybe like a male trotter, a drunkard, an alcoholic. Maybe like Dr. Ironside, never went to college. But they come with great hearts and open mouths and great souls. They come with a big sack. See, and God gives them a big blessing. The size of the sack determines the blessing. Open thy mouth wide. Now, I'll it. open thy mouth small. Now, I'll just put a few tidbits in it. The law of appropriation. What's the third law? The law of supply. Whatever you need, Joshua, courage, boldness, whatever you need, I'll give it to you. Three great laws. Good for Joshua, good for you and for me. All right, now I've got about...